0: to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out his freedom. After a long time in the third year, The word of the Lord came to Elijah Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, "'Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. "'Maybe we can find some grass "'to keep the horses and mules alive "'so we will not have to kill any of our animals.'" So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah in the other. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, And said, is it really you, my Lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, And supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, As Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, sorry, I missed one verse. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah.
1: That last verse is actually kind of important. Uh, I'll get to it later. Um, Hello. I don't know all of you, so I'll introduce myself. My name's Andrew Errington. I'm the uh, senior minister here. I'm really glad to be with you this evening. I thought I wasn't going to be, because on Monday, I have uh, small children, and we send them off to school, and they have to do compulsory rat tests, and on Monday morning, just as we're about to head out the door, all the lunch boxes are packed and everything, and Francis... My daughter tests positive, no symptoms, and we 're like, ah oh, no, so anyway, we went into isolation as we 're supposed to, but the following day we got our PCR tests, and they were all negative and New South Wales Health assure us that we're allowed to be out so i'm glad to be here. I had already recorded this sermon on video, so uh, you know uh, I nothing will happen with that ever, but maybe. Maybe if you drift off and you want to hear it later, I can send you the video. Um, for those who are visiting or new this evening, I'll just fill you in uh, where we are up to in our sermon series. So we're reading the story of a guy called Elijah the prophet, um, and he's a character from the Old Testament. From in the, he comes in the book of First Kings, 1 Kings. And uh, he appears at this very dark time in Israel's history. And we're reading about the way that the Word of God came to Israel in this darkest of hours as King Ahab, who was the king of the kingdom of Israel, and his uh, Phoenician wife Jezebel are carrying out a kind of systematic rejection of the Lord, the God of Israel, in favor of the Phoenician god Baal. They're bringing in Baal and getting rid of the Lord. We get a glimpse of that actually in this passage we just read. It's on the outlines if you've got one on the way in. Um, it's in verse 4 where it says that at that time Jezebel was killing off the prophets of the Lord. So there was this really deliberate kind of purge of the worship of the God of Israel. Well, in chapter 18, so, so we've read about a chapter so far in this series, but in chapter 18, we reach a great confrontation between Elijah and Ahab. Now, we're going to get to that confrontation and that dramatic moment next week. But before we get there, we have to pause, because at the beginning of chapter 18, we're introduced to this character, Obadiah. Now, it would be really easy to just pass over Obadiah. He's a minor character. He seems to be introduced mainly for um, you know, dramatic purposes, uh, dramatic effect. But I don't think we should pass over him because he has things to teach us. He has things to teach us particularly about what it looks like to be faithful in compromising places. We live in a time where it's really easy to feel compromised, with, perhaps with the companies we work for, decisions they take, or with institutions or organisations we're a part of, or perhaps just with small-scale things like in the context of our extended family. We can easily find ourselves today in positions that feel a bit compromising. You can probably think of examples, times when you or someone you know is asked to symbolically show your support for something you don't agree with, or times when a company or an organization takes a public stand that makes you uncomfortable, or times when just somebody in your orbit is treated really badly and you feel kind of touched by that in some way and you don't quite know what to do. We live in a time where worry about being in a compromised position is something actually a lot of us need to grapple with. And that's why Obadiah is worth paying attention to. Because the fascinating thing about Obadiah is that, on the one hand, he is a faithful believer in the Lord. It says he was a devout believer in the Lord in verse 3, or literally the Hebrew is Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And actually, his name, Obadiah, just means servant of the Lord. Um, whenever you see a Ia ending, actually, it's, it's a kind of part of the Hebrew name for the Lord, Yahweh. And so that, that's, that's just interesting, Obadiah, servant of the Lord. So he's a faithful, serious believer. But on the other hand, did you notice he is right there at the center of Ahab's corrupt regime? Did you notice that? He's called Ahab's palace administrator, which which may have been something like Ahab's chief of staff. So he's right there in the thick of this dreadful rule, and yet he's a faithful Israelite. How does that work? So I think we can learn something from Obadiah about faithfulness in compromising places. What can we learn? Well, I think the story leads us to notice two things. First, it leads us to think about Obadiah's position and the opportunities it creates. But second, it it leads us to think about his position and the risks it comes with. First then, let's just notice that Obadiah is where he is and this creates opportunities for good. The narrative invites us to see this. We hear at the beginning of chapter 18 that a lot of time has passed. We're now in the 3rd year of the drought that was introduced when Obadiah told King Ahab that it wouldn't rain except at his word. And now the Lord calls Elijah. Sorry, I said when Obadiah told Ahab. That's wrong. When Elijah the prophet told Ahab. I get I'm going to get these names mixed up. So You'll just fill in. Elijah is the prophet. Obadiah is this little guy we meet just in these verses. Now, Elijah, the Lord tells Elijah to go and meet Ahab. And as I said, that's the focus of the chapter as a whole. It's where we're getting to next week. But then we're given a bit of a wider angle. The camera pans back and we see a bit of what's been happening in the meantime. And we hear that the famine has been severe. Ahab decides that he needs to take action if they're going to avoid having to kill off the cattle and so he he summons a key servant Obadiah his palace administrator in order to divide the land in search of food and water now just in passing I wanna notice that this is this is really embarrassing for Ahab it's an indictment on him actually and on his faith in the god Baal you see Baal was a storm god he was the god who sent the rain and the storm And Asherah, who's also mentioned as part of kind of Ahab's uh, and Jezebel's entourage, Asherah was a god of fertility. So the scene, this scene of the king frantically going out in search of food and water, is really kind of pathetic. But before we get to all that, we get a bit of Obadiah's backstory. Oh, there's a picture of a statue of Baal. I keep forgetting to put that up. There we go, there he is. He's the guy who is being embarrassed in this story. We'll come back to him next week. But here's Obadiah's backstory. Verse 3. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 50 in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Now, we don't hear much here, but what we hear is very revealing. During some kind of purge, conducted by Ahab's fearsome wife, Jezebel, Obadiah arranges at what must have been great risk to himself to hide a hundred prophets of the Lord and provide for them. And this action again highlights the Lord's power and Baal's powerlessness. Ahab can't even find grass for his animals. But Obadiah is able to get food and water for a hundred fugitives. Again, the Lord here provides for his people without difficulty, just like he did with Elijah, just like he did with the widow. He provides. But how does he provide now? Well, now he provides through Ahab's high official, Obadiah. It would have been easy, I think, to get stuck into Obadiah. To see him as a sellout, somebody who just wanted to have his cake and eat it. Come on, Obadiah. Which is it going to be? Your faith or your position? How can you work for somebody like Ahab? How can you be a part of this thing? Can't you see what he is doing? How can you go anywhere near this corrupt regime? Do you see how easy it would have been? people say things like this to Christians today. They say things, these things sometimes to Christians who work for certain organizations or companies or in certain contexts. Perhaps Christians who are in the military sometimes get asked questions like this. Or Christians who are in politics or part of one or another or pretty much any political party. Sometimes people say these things about certain kinds of schools. I wonder if there are things you can think of that you would find it really hard to understand a Christian being a part of. That you would feel yourself tempted to kind of be a bit judgy. Well, Obadiah shows us, I think, that it's just not very neat. It's not cut and dried. Yes, Ahab's regime was terrible. And yes, Obadiah's position had real risks, as we will see. But Obadiah wasn't a sellout. Actually, the story says that he wasn't. It says that Obadiah was a faithful man, and that God used him in that position, right in that compromised, messy place, God used him to do good. If you hear last year we read through John chapter 17, and I wonder if you remember this prayer that Jesus prayed for his disciples. If you don't, I'm going to put it up so it doesn't matter. Jesus says, My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even I am not even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, says Jesus, I have sent them into the world. You know, we we, we, we live in a messy world. And our job is not to flee from it, but to be faithful in the midst of it. You know, there, there is actually a space that is all neat and tidy, cut and dried, and free of any compromise there, there is that space it's called heaven and one day we will be there but until we get there we're not there we're in the mess and God wants to use us there for good he wants us to seek opportunities to bear witness sometimes at cost to ourselves and to serve him So, friends, can we just... uh, This is not a particularly judgy community, but let's not become one. Let's slow down on our judgments of one another. Anybody would have thought that Obadiah was fatally compromised. But he wasn't. He was the Lord's servant. And it mattered that he was where he was, And let's be open to the ways in which those around us might be used in the same way. There's this wonderful verse in Romans 14 that says, um, It is before their own master that people will stand or fall. Romans 14.4 It is before the Lord and not before you and I that people will stand and fall. Okay, well that's the first thing I think we should notice about Obadiah, the opportunities his position created, but let's not be naive about this. The second part of the story will stop us from thinking that this kind of faithful presence in a compromising position, it'll stop us from thinking that that is in any way a simple matter, because it shows us that Obadiah's position was actually very risky, Obadiah heads out on the king's mission in verse 7, and bam, there's Elijah. Actually, in the Hebrew, it's really, it's really shocking. It says, Obadiah went out, and whoa, look, Elijah. Elijah's suddenly there, and he can't believe it. And he says, is it? Is it? Is it really you, my lord, Elijah? And Elijah says, yes. Go and tell your master Elijah is here. Now, there's something really interesting in Elijah's reply that is lost in the English translation. It's a good translation, but this particular kind of thing is lost. You see, Hebrew, the same word is used for both the words Lord and Master there. So when when Obadiah says, Is it really you, my Lord Elijah? He's using the Hebrew word Adonai. Is it really you, my Adonai Elijah? And Elijah replies, Yes, go and tell your Adonai Elijah is here. Now, that's a kind of a pointed reply. I think Elijah is raising a question here for Obadiah about who is his master really? And whether he is trying to serve two. Well, in response to Elijah, Obadiah makes a long speech. And it's a long speech that shows us, actually, that there are spiritual risks to his position. We see I think, in this speech, that Obadiah is at risk of a kind of loss of perspective. I think we see him starting to lose perspective in two ways. First, he's he's in danger of losing perspective on Ahab's power. And second, he's in danger of losing perspective on himself. So first, he's in danger of losing perspective on Ahab's power. Have a look from verse 9. This is his long speech. Obadiah says, what have I done wrong? That you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not set someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they couldn't find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he'll kill me. Now Ob- Obadiah's position is like what he says is understandable, and yet, and yet, Obadiah's closeness to Ahab has led him to be, I think, a little a little mesmerized by Ahab's power. He's so conscious of what Ahab can do, of the reach of his arm, that he's started to forget the reality of God. All God does in this is introduce uncertainty for him. Ahab is looming larger in his mind than the Lord. And so when Elijah tells Obadiah to go to Ahab, all Obadiah can think of is what Ahab will do. God has become somehow less real, less active, This kind of loss of perspective comes really easily. When you're in the thick of something, when you know how an organization or a system works, maybe a company, maybe a family, you know its dynamics, it's very easy for for those dynamics, that power, the way it works, for that to become the certain thing, the dependable thing, the pole in the ground, the thing you can bank on. And there is a danger in this, the danger of forgetting at the crucial moment that it is actually all in the Lord's hands, that all of everything is within the freedom and sovereignty of God. We see this, I think, most powerfully when Jesus stands before Pontius Pilate. I wonder if you remember the scene, if you don't. Here it is. He's standing before Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, and Pilate says this. He says, Don't you realize, you little Jewish revolutionary, don't you realize that I have power either to free you or to crucify you? But Jesus responds, You would have no power over me. If it were not given to you from above, Pilate, you see, has lost perspective. He's become mesmerized by the power of Rome and his own power. They are the thing that are now absolute and certain for him. But Jesus just bursts the bubble and says, Who are you kidding, mate? Who are you kidding? Death and life are not, they're not really in your hands, they're in God's hands. Are you in danger, brothers and sisters, of losing perspective because of your context, because of the powers you're surrounded by or a part of, the systems you know so well? Are, they, are, they be, are you in danger of them becoming the realest real thing there is? They're not especially when we are in a position like Obadiah's, we we must beware of this danger of losing perspective on power and of forgetting where true power really lies. It takes faith to believe it, but it's no less true because of that. But there is a second way in which Obadiah is in danger of losing perspective, and that is in his perspective, whoa, I've lost my slide for some reason, that's funny. One slide has dropped out. don't worry, it's in your, it's in your outline. Um, there is Well, that's not the slide I want. It's all good. To be honest, my slides and there's not much to them anyway, they're just black and white. The text is there. Anyway, there is a second way in which Ahab is in danger of losing perspective, and, and this is in his perspective on himself. Have a look, or just listen to me, read it from verse 12. Obadiah keeps speaking. And here's what he says. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. This is verse 13 now. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? And then he tells his story. I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. Obadiah is in danger, I said. What's the danger? The danger, I think, is of starting to believe that he is owed something his own good work of protecting the prophets of the Lord, and it was a good work. But it's begun to loom large and significant in his mind. And we can see how that would happen, right? It was quite a thing that he did. But there is a danger. It's the danger of thinking, and maybe he thought this because faith in the Lord at that time had just become a lot riskier and a lot rarer. And so he started to think that it somehow this good work, his faithfulness, it meant that God owed him. What he's getting wrong is he's forgetting that it was all, always, only grace. The fact that he was in that position at all was grace. The fact that he was able to do a good work was Grace. It was God who provided for the prophets. And God graciously allowed Obadiah to be a part of that. It did not put credit in his account. In fact, if we're really honest, it gave him a new debt of gratitude that he was allowed to be a part of this thing. When we're in a context in which it is challenging to be faithful, in which there are dangers of compromise, in which good works are costly, it can be easy to start to think that those good works and our faithfulness is really, it's pretty fantastic that we are kind of heroic and that really God ought to be pretty grateful to have us. And that's nonsense. It's nonsense. Because if we are called to a work like Obadiah's, it's only grace. And if we are enabled to do a good work, that is a gift to us for which we ought to be thankful. Okay, so how do we avoid these risks, this loss of perspective? Well, what we need is always just what Obadiah needed, the clear word of God that calls us back by calling us forward in service. Elijah confronts Obadiah and he gives him a task. He invites him again into the Lord's service. He doesn't give him a special deal because of his history He doesn't make an exception for him. He doesn't let him off the hook. He just invites him into the Lord's service and gives him God's promise. And that's what we need too. When we are in spiritually dangerous positions, when we're in the midst of the world's mess with compromises all about, we need the clarity of the word of God and its call upon us. Those in positions like Obadiah's in any way are not well served by a church or a ministry or friends who tell them that their position makes things different and that the usual things that apply to Christians, the usual commands of Christ, they don't apply to them. No, they are well served by a ministry that Elijah just tells them the truth. And invites them to the privilege of the Lord's service. And did you notice finally that in the end, Obadiah takes up the invitation? That's why it's great that Nishan got that last verse, verse 16. He takes it up. He goes to meet Ahab and he tells him that Elijah's there. And that is encouraging, don't you think? For we see here that in the end Obadiah didn't have two masters, he only had one. The risks of his position were real, as they so often are for us, but his first love was the Lord. And in the end he stands. For the Lord is able to make him stand, and he is able to make you stand too. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your servant Obadiah, this strange and interesting person who appears in the story in this impossible position. We thank you for the encouragement, Lord, that you are still free to call us to faithfulness and to use us even in very messy places. We thank you that you are free to give your promise and to save and bring life and we praise you that you have given us the forgiveness of sins and the the word of justification in your son Jesus Christ and we pray that we would, like Obadiah did, be able to hear your word and take it to heart for you are our one master. Amen.